Good evening, everyone. How many of you remember what Friday was like here? It was beautiful. That's right. It was one of those spring teaser days that we get. Sometimes we get weeks like that in February or March, and we're hoping for some more of those. But it was this beautiful day. It was clear. It was sunny. And I got to go for a motorcycle ride with my man. That's right. It was good. It was good. And, you know, there's nothing like a motorcycle ride to really make you focus on what you're doing. You know, Jared and I went for this ride, and Mount Hood was clear in the horizon. But something that I noticed was a little different on riding a motorcycle versus in a car is that, you know, we didn't have any coffee cups in our hands, no beverage cups. We didn't have our cell phones in hand, thankfully, because it is just machine and the man and the road and a few other drivers as well. But I was riding. I wasn't driving. So I was sitting behind him and really I could not see the road immediately in front of us. I couldn't focus on that because all I had in front of me was this ginormous white helmet. Okay. Uh, very Matching the one that I had on my head, right? But that's what I was looking at unless I looked out of my peripheral vision. Well, I was really grateful that my man was focused. He was looking at the road in front of him because our lives depended on it. That's what a good motorcycle ride, it really makes you focus. And we're going to talk about focus tonight and focusing on the things or the one that really matters. And, you know, to focus on something is when you give your steady, consistent, persistent attention to something for the purpose of seeing it clearly, understanding it, perceiving him or it or them. Well, Jennifer is a young mom, and she's got a five-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter. Well, almost four years old. And this was her fourth week of watching the kids while her husband traveled, so doing parenting alone. And it was middle of the week, and they had reached 6 o'clock, the magic crabby hour uh, that had become a a habit with them. And she decided she was going to speed up bedtime. That meant baths were happening sooner. So she went and took their daughter, who's almost four, and got her in the tub, started the water, and took off to start their son's shower, something that was a familiar habit for her because her daughter was almost four after, after all. She got them both started, but as she was walking back from starting her son's shower, she heard the ping of her iPad. She got an email. So she read the email. It was from a friend. It wasn't urgent. It didn't require an immediate response. But even without any sense of urgency, she felt a sense of urgency to respond to it. She she stopped and responded to this email and took about two minutes to do it. She walked back into the bathroom where she'd left her daughter in the tub. And, you know, it had been a long day. Her daughter was tired. The water was warm. And her daughter had fallen asleep and was leaned up against the side, next to the side of the tub, slowly slipping down the side. She screamed when she saw her because she was like, oh, my gosh, what could have happened here? And she grabbed her daughter, who didn't wake up. She was so tired. And she just grabbed her in her arms and she put the whole wet bundle in her bed for a very short, very wet power nap. Well, we'll talk more about her in just a few minutes. But have you ever had things clamor for your attention like she had with this iPad ringing? Maybe you're like me. Just about the time you decide to do something or you set a goal or you set your focus on a particular thing, 
all of a sudden, a whole array of options appear in your head, if not immediately in front of you. It might be social media, it might be your text or your phone or those kinds of things, but it might just be a whole other array of options. Maybe calling this person or being with that person or doing this task that you see off there in the corner of your eye. And we all know the parent phone rule, right? The minute you answer the phone, there will be a child who immediately needs you, precisely in that moment, right? Well, the same thing happens when we decide to focus on Jesus. When we decide, I'm going to give Jesus my attention. I'm going to focus on him. And tonight we're going to take a look at an encounter that Jesus had with, and that he took three of his best friends on, an adventure, if you will. And it's going to remind us of what really matters. And it's going to, I'm going to invite you to with me consider Something You see, I've been thinking about this for a couple weeks and how this works is God messes with me for a couple weeks and then he messes with you, you know, for a, a few short minutes. And I'd like you to consider with me how our culture and technology has influenced our ability to focus on what matters most. If you will, I want you to think of tonight as we're all each lifting up a pair of binoculars And you know, when you first pick up a pair, you never know who's used them before you. So they may or may not be set for what you want to look at. And so when you pick them up, one of the first things you do is you use those little knobby things wherever they're at. Sometimes it's in the center. And you adjust so that you can see clearly, you can perceive clearly, you can focus on what you want to look at. And the big idea tonight is that Jesus is the real deal. He is the God become man. He is the center of God's love story for you and me. And he doesn't want us to miss him. He wants us to follow him and to focus on him. To make him number one in our lives and to give him not just partial attention, but our full attention. So we're going to take a look at this wonderful adventure that Jesus, three of Jesus' friends got to go on with him up on a mountainside. And I want to just set the stage. You know, a couple weeks ago, we had a snow day, a snow church. And Rick, here in the front row, he gave a message on podcast. And you might not have heard it, but if you did, you'll know that it's just the preceding verses. You see, about a week before the incident we're going to read, Jesus' disciples were asked this question, Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who piped up, with God's help, this revelation, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, hey, you've got it right. And then he went on to tell them what was going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The religious leaders are going to persecute me. I'm going to be sentenced to death. I'm going to die on a cross. Three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. But even though Jesus had just begun, this is kind of a turning point in his ministry from just healing and teaching about the kingdom of God to now turning himself toward Jerusalem to focus on his life's purpose, what he really came for. And even though he started to tell them about it, they still really didn't get it. When Jesus had told them this, they were still thinking, here's our political deliverer. He's going to save us from Rome and their rule over us. He's going to set us free from all that. And he's going to take care of our temporary but very real problem. And that's where we pick up the story. In Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 28 through 36, let's read there about an adventure that's called the Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. 
and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. I'm pretty sure Jesus has said that about me sometimes when I'm talking. And really doesn't know what she's saying right now. And it says, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves, and they didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Wow, what an adventure these guys got to have. I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you like me would sign up for this hike with Jesus up this mountain? If, if we had any idea, you know, we get to look back. We get the benefit of the, the rest of the information. But that's all these guys knew. You know... We're going to take a look at this adventure that they had with Jesus, and it's going to remind us, or it's going to reaffirm for us, or it's going to reinforce for us something that Jesus wants to encourage us in. It's these two things, that we need to follow Jesus and we need to focus on Jesus. I want you to think with me about this first one. His first thing is, be followers. Go where Jesus wants you to go. You're saying, okay, Ann, that's a duh That's what I like to call those things. It's like, isn't that obvious? But I want to just mention that Peter, James, and John were, went up on this mountain to pray with Jesus, and this wasn't like an unusual occurrence. Luke 5.16 tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. We know if we read the rest of the Gospels, including the earlier chapters of Luke, that sometimes Jesus went all by himself, and sometimes he took along some of his friends, sometimes a larger group of friends. So just getting invited to go pray with Jesus, go along with that, didn't guarantee that they were going to have this kind of experience. But, oh, this was an amazing one. This was unlike any other's. You know, they got a glimpse of the glory of God. They were dazzled with his majesty and this radiance that emanated from his face and this clothing that in another gospel account says it was whiter than any bleach could get it. Others refer to it as like a flash of lightning. So they got this glimpse into God's glory just by going along with Jesus. They got to hear God's audible voice out of this cloud that enshrouded him just by going along with Jesus, just by being a follower of Jesus. And I wondered, after I read this a couple weeks ago, I was thinking, I wonder how many adventures I've missed out on with Jesus because I didn't go along with him. I ignored what he wanted me to do with him, or I wasn't aware of it. I was clueless at the time. Esperanza's 12 years old, and two weeks ago, her mom was getting ready to give her a ride to school like she usually did. When Esperanza gave her a very unusual request, she said, Mom, I think we're supposed to go and pray for Mrs. Shepherd this morning. 
Mrs. Shepherd was an 81-year-old woman in the church that they'd only recently began attending because they'd only recently moved to town. She knew her last name. And so her mom was like, okay, um, you know, my daughter wants to do this, praying, that's a good thing. She took her. They got to Mrs. Shepherd's house. They got up on the front porch. She opens the door, and they had to tell why they were there. Mrs. Shepherd, the Lord told me to pray for you this morning. So she said, okay, come on in. So they prayed together, and she kind of prayed a general prayer, but as she was praying, she looked up and she said, Mrs. Shepherd, the Lord is telling me that I'm supposed to pray for your bones to be protected today. Twelve years old, 81 years old. So she prays for her, takes off. Her mom takes her to school. Mrs. Shepherd later that morning goes to the women's Bible study at that church. As she's coming out of the study, she trips and falls and does a face plant on the concrete. 81 years old, already struggling with mobility issues. Usually her husband, Bill, helps her around a bit. She popped up from falling down on that concrete. She got a bruise on her face there by her eye. But literally, they took her to the ER. Her husband did, came and took her to the ER just to make sure she was okay. Not a bone was broken. The next day was her 81st birthday. She went all over town celebrating her birthday at all the things they had planned and sharing the story of what God had done for her. Esperanza had an adventure because she was willing to go along with Jesus, just like these disciples. They followed Jesus when he asked them to go along. And that's what happened. I say it this way. If you don't go, you won't know. We have lots of opportunities here at Evergreen that you get invited to do. And in your life, just as you're going through the course of a day, you know what I'm talking about. Jared made reference to him, those nudges, those little, you need to call this person. Hey, I think you should go pray for that person. Hey, I think you should take something to this person. Give them a word of encouragement. Hey, I think that coworker over there, you need to go talk to him and find out what's going on in their life and offer to pray for him. Those kinds of nudges that are the beginning of these adventures. And here at Evergreen, you get invited to do things too. You know, there's a Cambodia medical trip coming up this summer. And we need more than medical people to do this. There's people to do intake as people are waiting to be seen. We need people who are confident that they can pray for them as they're standing there in line, waiting their turn to be seen. All kinds of opportunities for people with little specialized skills to participate. If you don't know, if you don't go, you won't know. That might be an adventure that God's going to tap some of your shoulders. This summer, July 28th through the 31st, we're going to be doing a kid's camp. And if you haven't ever been to camp, God might just tap you on the shoulder and ask you to come and help these kids have this incredible week with God. You're going to see God do some amazing things. This last week, I had an encounter with my neighbor. I came home. It was the end of the day, and it was raining out. I was tired. I'd just finished an appointment with somebody. And you know how sometimes at the end of the day, are you looking for one more conversation? Maybe some of you guys are. But when you've had a day filled with people, sometimes you're not, right? But there was my neighbor. He was just pulling in from his job, and I'd made this, I'd had this direction from God that I got to follow. He just said, Ann, I want you to stop every time you encounter a neighbor this year. Just stop whatever you're doing and spend time with them. So right there out in the rain, I said, how you doing, Doug? He walked across the street. He stopped right there, and we stood up. 
10 minutes. I didn't time it exactly, but enough time for him to tell me more than he's ever told me about his personal life before. And we've spent a lot of time in social situations before. But he told me about his job, and he told me about how long he'd worked there and his hopes and dreams and some of the things that had disappointed him about it and the second job that he needs to find and the opportunity that had been given at one of the restaurants in town to work as one of the chefs there. But the reasons that he didn't want to do that and how his wife was coming back from L.A. in a week and that would give us an opportunity to have them for dinner. I mean, it went on and on. And you see, suddenly I had an adventure in front of me, standing in the rain out there in front of my house. I knew how to pray for him. I knew a lot more specifically what Doug's looking for, what he's hungry for, what he's worried about, and when I could have our next encounter because his wife would be home. If you don't go, you won't know. There's just an incredible encouragement to follow Jesus when I read this story. I don't want to be left out. I'm going with you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you up that mountain. You know, I love what E.M. Forrester, a wonderful novelist, said. He said, adventures do happen, but not punctually. Isn't that the case? A lot of Jesus' adventures happen in the course of doing something else, something that doesn't look quite as exciting as this adventure turned out to be, something that looks a lot like a prayer meeting that we've been to many times before, right? The question is, how are we doing? How are you doing at following Jesus right now? I don't know about you, but this week, I don't want to miss out on any adventures that he has for me. I want to go along with him. And that brings us to the really big idea of the whole story, which is to focus on Jesus. Get the binoculars set. Let's zone them in on what we need to look at. Keep our eyes and our ears on him. You see, Jesus' friends had no sooner realized the incredible scene that was in front of them. I mean, they've got two dead guys talking to Jesus. They've got this light, like lightning, emanating from Jesus' face and from his clothing. And it's just this incredible scene. When the whole thing changes, the two guys disappear and a cloud enshrouds them. And they hear God the Father speaking out of this cloud. Did I mention that God spoke in an audible voice that they could hear? And he says these amazing words that we read in Luke 9, verses 35 and 36. And it says this, that the father said, A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when that voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Now, all three gospel accounts include these details. They all share that in common. And this Final three words especially, listen to him. I want to talk for a minute just about that word listen and what he's really saying. Because this word listen meant to hear using all your senses. It's the same word that was used when John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to Jesus. Said, check it out for me guys. Find out if this is the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus told those disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. From me, seen and heard. Those two words together comprise this word listen that's being shared here. Or the, or the shepherds at the first Christmas there in Bethlehem where they get to see Jesus. They visit him there. And it says when they left, they were praising God for all that they'd seen and heard. Same idea. Listen to all that they'd listened to, all that they'd seen and heard. The big idea was this. Consider, give your attention to, look at, understand, watch, focus on Jesus. He's the big deal. 
Yeah, I want to just talk for a minute about three things that they didn't focus on because these are often distractions for us that we can get focused on. And a couple of these were for these guys as well. One of these was don't, don't focus on the past. Now, I want you to notice what they were talking about. Since they were talking about Jesus' departure, that's one of those words for dying, folks. Jesus' passing, right? His death that was going to happen in Jerusalem. So they weren't focused. Moses and Elijah weren't there talking about their great exploits from the past. Moses wasn't telling about, yes, I was on Mount Sinai back in the day and the law was given to me. I came down with the tablets of stone and found God's people, you know, acting out. No, that's not what he was talking about. And Elijah wasn't standing there talking about the time I raised that widow's son from the dead or the time I was taken to heaven in a whirlwind. They weren't swapping stories from the past. And Jesus wasn't talking about the fifteen to 20,000 people that he'd fed a couple weeks back. They really weren't swapping stories about the good old days. They were talking about what Jesus was about to do, what he was going to do next. The greatest act in all of human history. The fulfillment of what Moses' law only hinted at. That there would be a deliverer, capital D, who would come and once for all deliver all mankind, paying the price for our sin, doing the once and for all sacrifice rather than this system of sacrifices. They were talking about what Jesus was going to do next. And the question is, does your past distract you sometimes? The way things used to be, the good old days or the bad old days, both of those can distract us from focusing on Jesus. And the encouragement here, the affirmation here is don't let your past distract you from Jesus and what he's doing now and what he's about to do now. Another thing was don't focus on the mountaintop moment. This was another thing that can be distracting. Talk about a mountaintop adventure. What a grand moment to see the glory and radiance of God visually. I mean, Peter, James, and John had fallen asleep, right? Well, they are at least in a daze. We were talking about this this afternoon. Some of us, after we take naps, we kind of qualify for the dazed. Have you ever done that? Laid down, thought you'd take a power nap. It turned into a two-hour one. You get up and you're like... I'm not fit for the world. Okay. I think that that's how the disciples were right here. I do these three guys. And I think this was like the best alarm clock ever. It didn't ring, you know, instead it's this dazzling brightness and these dead guys talking to Jesus. Talk about being freaked out when you wake up. I mean, you might think you were in a, a dream. So here's Moses, the receiver of the law, and Elijah, the prophet who turned people's hearts back to God. These are two guys that are this amazing hall of fame. If God had a hall of fame, they would certainly be in it. And Peter's first reaction is, let's stay in this amazing moment. Let's build some tents. Let's have a camp out right here on the mountain, a shelter, one for you, one for you, and one for you. So what was wrong with this camping trip that didn't happen? Well, this was Peter's attempt to park on this moment, not recognizing the significance of what Jesus was up to next and where he was going, but instead to just stay in that moment, not to recognize that God was still at work. How many of us haven't done that ourselves at some time? 
had some amazing experience with God, and we just stay parked on that. And in fact, we try to draw as many other people into that. That's what we really need to be doing. That's what we really need to experience more of. Those mountaintop experiences. Well, I used to be the summer camping director for four and a half years. I did that for Foursquare a number of years ago in another life, as I like to say. And we did, at that time, I did 11 weeks of camp at Crestview, plus three off-site at a place called Camp Baraka. 15 weeks, 3,800 campers. And really an incredible summer. For 11 weeks, I was the most blessed woman on the planet. Every night. You know, when kids decide to set aside all their electronics and all of their music and all of their own desires and their favorite meals and their favorite habits, and they say, I'm, for a week, I'm going to set myself apart to God, it's incredible what happens. It's incredible what happens in leaders' lives there as well and how God makes leaders there. But when they get together and they decide to worship God, they decide to praise God together, wow, it's phenomenal. Every night, for six nights a week, I got to be a part of that for 11 weeks straight. So when I went back to my home church in Bend, Westside Church, and a great church, loves God. First weekend back, I would worship with them, and i go, oh my gosh, this is a dead place. I mean... I didn't say it. I didn't tell them that. But I was thinking inside. I was thinking, you guys, come on. God's a lot more exciting than that. Why aren't you excited? You know, let's go for it. Meanwhile, they've all just drug in from work, right? They're 80-hour weeks, and they're giving it all they've got to God. See, I had this mountaintop experience, and for 11 weeks I lived in it, and it's not really reality. I wanted needed to be focused on what's Jesus up to now, and he's up to some pretty cool things. In that church, you know that some of our students come back and experience us the same way, by the way, you know, just so I get my just dues here. Well, there's one other thing I want to point out that we're not supposed to focus on, just because I think that these are things that often distract us from focusing on Jesus. And it's don't focus on other leaders, however great or flawed they might be. You notice that there's two Hall of Famers with them, Moses and Elijah. Peter wants to build shelters for all three, but let's face it, Moses and Elijah were not equal to Jesus. They weren't on par with him. They and others like you and I are simply Jesus' servants. Jesus is preeminent. Other leaders will let us down. Moses and Elijah had to go away. Only Jesus remained. And that's the person that the Father said, listen to him. He is preeminent. You know, every leader in the Bible, you could find some dirt on. Every leader in the Bible, you could find something to disqualify him. And the same is true right here and now. In your lives, there's plenty of dirt on any one of us that could make you reject us, that could disillusion you, that could disappoint you. But our faith story has to be built on a relationship with Jesus, not on a relationship with with us human leaders. It's got to be with Jesus. We'll disappoint you every time. I remember the first time I got disappointed. I was a sophomore in high school. I'd been walking with Jesus since I was 10. So I had a real stretch there of, like, I was either ignorance is bliss or that's just the they were that good. But I, I didn't, don't remember being disappointed till I was a sophomore. And I went to the board of elders at our church, and I asked them if our youth group could go and do this sunshine, this extravaganza, this outreach in Eugene. 
that my brother happened to be leading. And my brother was one of my spiritual heroes. And and so I was just like, let's take our youth group. I was one of the leaders in the youth group. So I just went and presented to them. I mean, I fully expected them to say, yes, I'm very right. This is a reasonable request. And they said, no, they were afraid we were too charismatic. Don't want to let the Holy Spirit loose. It might cause some problems here. So I was, I mean, I was very hurt. My brother got saved in that church. Now, I had a choice right then and there, and I made a decision. I'm not going to let the imperfection of human leaders sabotage my relationship with Jesus. I can't let that distract me from following Jesus. We had a little saying we developed, put your head down and keep serving Jesus. I want to suggest that we had a little bit wrong. It should have been, put your head up and keep following Jesus. When I was a freshman in college, that's the first time that I had a pastor that morally failed. He was the, uh, the, one of the associates on staff there at Faith Center. And, I mean, he came down and, and repented in front of the whole congregation. But he was removed from ministry for a long period of time. He hurt a lot of people. Put your head up. Keep following Jesus. Other leaders, we are not Jesus. It's why Paul's invitation to the early Christians was, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's why the writer to the Hebrews says these words, consider your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Look at the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What am I imitating? Where they look like Jesus Christ. Where they are getting it right. So, focus on Jesus. This is the big reminder for these disciples. Jesus is the Son of God. He's chosen by God. He's loved by God. He's pleasing to God. Listen to him. Don't look back at your past. Don't look to others. Don't look beyond he is the one. He is the Messiah. Give him your full attention. And this sounds an awful lot to me like Hebrews 12, verse 2, where it talks about our race. This life is compared to a race. And we're told to run this race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, you remember Jennifer, the mom I was telling you about. I want to share with you her reflections that she shared in a blog that she wrote after she rescued her daughter from the bath. For a while now, I've felt that I've been losing the ability to single task. That is to say, the ability to do one thing well. I recognize that this hasn't happened in isolation. What I'm feeling is a larger reflection of a culture that has literally consumed us over the past five years or so. In particular, becoming a parent during the rapid rise of the era of tablets and smartphones, I've lost the ability to be present and do one thing at a time, and it scares me. And on this night, it could have cost me everything. It wouldn't have taken more than two minutes or two seconds to change our lives forever. Ever. I can't even begin to process how much I regularly try to squeeze into those same two minutes. 
about how much I could have lost in the same amount of time. You know, people talk about distracted driving, but it's really more than that. It's distracted living. And that doesn't just leave you feeling empty and dissatisfied. As I proved to myself and to my daughter, that can actually be dangerous. So maybe you're like me and like our friend Jennifer. Maybe you've resorted to multitasking with God, trying to do several things at once. And did you know that what I'm really trying to do when I'm multitasking is not actually multitasking? It's called giving partial attention to multiple things. They've shown that the brain doesn't actually, can't actually focus on two things at once, that it actually just gives partial attention and it hops back and forth between the things that we think we're multitasking with. And I've been thinking about this for a couple weeks. I wonder how this affects my listening to Jesus when listening means using multiple senses to hear and understand and to perceive him clearly. Sociologist Irving Goffman, he even coined a phrase that he uses to describe our inability to resist checking our email, our texts, our Facebook, or other social media, rather than focusing on the person who's talking to us right then. He calls it an away gesture that tells that other person, I'm not really interested in what's going on here and now. And I ask myself, how does this affect my relationship with Jesus? Well, two weeks ago, I was sitting in the living room having my quiet time. I moved it from the kitchen about a year ago when I realized that the kitchen talked to me. You know, the refrigerator, the sink, the food, the coffee maker, it all. It was all speaking to me. The floor, you know, just any task that needed to be straightened. I, I realized I needed to change location. It wasn't a good place for me. So I moved to the living room. Victory, okay? My journal, my Bible. But on this day, I looked at what I had with me. I had my journal, I had my Bible, I had my coffee, I had my computer, I had my iPad, and I had my cell phone. Oh, yeah, I had six things there with me. I had a good reason why I needed all those, too. Just want you to know that. And I had what I call pinball prayer session with Jesus. I shot him a few prayers, and then I answered a few texts. And then I thought about, I might be an email about that, and then I checked Facebook, because there might be more about that situation there. It was an interesting time. It really was pinball prayer with Jesus. And I realized that I was giving Jesus an away gesture. I was telling him that this was not the most important thing. That my conversation with him, that my listening to him, he wasn't getting my full attention. So how did this whole adventure begin? It began with this prayer time. Jesus saying, I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to push away from all the distractions. I'm going to get alone with God. You know what? He heard, you're my son. The one I love. The one I've chosen. That's fuel for a week of adventure. To be able to hear 
Jesus reveal who he is to us afresh and anew. Because you know what, folks? That's the answer for focusing on Jesus. It's not creating another big list or putting another big burden on your shoulders. It's revelation of who he is. He is number one. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he dearly loves us and wants to reveal himself to us. And if we don't go, we'll never know. The question for us is this, what distractions do you need to eliminate to focus on Jesus? 